0: Thank you, Curtie, for that special number. I want you to take your Bible quickly tonight and turn to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. On the platform a moment ago, I was kind of smiling when I looked at the crowd. This is a good crowd for a Sunday night. And I thought to myself, well, what in the world? Um, you know, why? I announced Gog and Magog. And then it occurred to me that there are an awful lot of people in our church. This is one of the best things about this church. There are a lot of people in our church that are keenly interested in what the Bible says, okay, keenly interested in that. And, uh, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a uh, smoke and mirrors show going on up here on a Sunday morning. We don't have all that, a rock band or anything like that. We don't have that. All we ha- what we have, by the way, is New Testament. What we have is New Testament. What we have is the Word of God, the Bible, and uh, our church over the, the few years has attracted people that really take an interest in the Bible. I was gratified, uh, a little overwhelmed in Sunday school. I had 138 in my first session for Genesis. Now I know that's going to taper off. Let me mention this to you, okay, because people are torn about what class to go to and blah, blah, blah. Number one, it's no competition. It's not a competition. Number two, the, the, the Genesis lessons will be going online, okay? They will be going online online on Sermon Audio. So Genesis Unleashed, I don't know when, hopefully within a couple weeks or so we'll have that all figured out because we're using a different format and technology for the recording in the gymnasium, but that will all go online. Uh, So the Genesis Unleashed series will be available online. So if you want to go to the class you normally go to, and I'm not trying to kick you out of my class, okay, but if you want to go to the class you normally go to and then listen online, that's fine. I will make the, uh, the printed copies of that available for everyone because a lot of people want to listen to something during the course of the week or study something uh, during the course of the week we're going to do that now what's the difference we're going to drill down i'm drilling down into the areas of the Bible that preachers won't touch. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because they're scared of it. And those areas of the Bible are some of the most important areas for understanding the big picture. And so uh, that's the idea with this. Well, the same thing is true with Bible prophecy. Now, let me say a couple things before we begin. When you look at what I'm calling the Gog-Magog event, and gentlemen, you can go ahead and put up the new and improved. Do you have the new and improved, that thing, that chart? Do you have the, that the new and improved chart? They're working. There it is. Oh, there there it is. That's the new and improved chart. Um, when you uh, consider Bible prophecy, um, it is enigmatic, meaning that it is difficult to understand without putting it all together across the pages of the entire Bible. However, it is wrong for pastors and Bible teachers to avoid these subjects because they're difficult. Frankly, it takes an incredible amount of study. You so say, Pastor Monty, back in 1985 to 89, you went to Bible college, you learned it all there. <laughs> no, not even close, not even close. In fact, some of the things I learned there, I've learned that I need to jettison over the years, and, and uh, as you look deeper into the Scripture and change and alter your opinion a little bit. Well, one of the most controversial topics in the Bible is Ezekiel chapter 38. Not that that this event will or will not happen by those of us who believe the bible and all conservative bible scholars they say well yes we know this event will happen but the timing of the event is probably the most difficult point now let me make a statement i don't force you to believe, well, Pastor know, preached on this and I have to believe it, if I don't, I'm a heretic. No, there's wiggle room in some of this for difference and disagreement uh, and opinion, okay? Same is true with some of the deep, detailed things I'm gonna be dealing with in the book of Genesis. Coming up, I'm going to be talking about the gap theory. How many ever heard of the gap theory? The gap theory was popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible, the first edition of that. And uh, um, Pastor Monty, do you believe in the gap theory? Well, just come to class. Come to class and you'll find out. Uh, But I'm gonna make a statement. If you believe in it, you're not a heretic. If you don't believe in it, you're not a heretic. Okay, does everybody follow what I'm saying? You could go either way on that. Now, I believe in a young earth. I believe that creation, that our earth is historically speaking, no more than 10,000 years, and probably more, more closely related to 6,000 years. Does everyone understand that when you're talking about the history of the world? But I'm not getting into Genesis. We'll get into that later. But I'm saying this, there's room for disagreement. Here's what I like about it. When people are thoughtful about the Bible it demonstrates an interest in it, and you can't help but benefit by the study of Scripture, okay? So some people who want me to be dogmatic, hopelessly dogmatic on every single point, sometimes they might get a little bit disappointed. But we're looking at the Bible to get God's message. And by the way, that's what makes the book so exciting. There are rules in which we function. I gave some of those this morning in Sunday School a literal interpretation, but meaning more than just literally the words, okay? Meaning culture, meaning history, meaning all of that. I talk About that, meaning the worldview in which the Bible was written. Folks, the Bible was written in a distinctively supernatural worldview from Genesis to Revelation. If you reject that supernatural aspect of Scripture, then you might as well shelve your Bible. You might as well put it away. Do you know why? Because you'd be very dishonest to say, I believe the Bible, but I reject what we commonly call supernatural. And I'm using that word in a very common and generic sense. Okay, so (laughs) quickly to review, we talked about the imminency of christ's return now we said that we're living in this time period after 1948 obviously when uh, the jewish state was established after 1967 when jerusalem came under jewish control so but we don't really know when this will occur the rapture we said this morning that the rapture could have happened at any time why Because the events listed here, I believe, are events that will take place prior to the tribulation period. Now, again, you may disagree with me on some of the details, that's fine, but this is prior to the tribulation period. So it's really important to remember this. The tribulation period does not begin at the rapture. Wait a minute, Pastor Monty. It shows it does on your chart. Well, so that's one of the weaknesses of a linear chart. Because we have to have the line showing a chronological order, but there could be a time period after the rapture before the tribulation actually begins. We say, Pastor Monty, how do we know when the seven years starts? Let me tell you how we know. We know because the Antichrist will sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. That's how we know the clock begins ticking when that has been signed, because the tribulation period is divided into two halves, three and a half years, and three and a half years. We won't get into all of that tonight, but that's how we know. So there could be a parenthesis there. I, I think if there is, it would be very brief, but it could be very long. So in other words, what we're talking about tonight are things, listen carefully, you've got to get this. If you don't get this, you're going to be lost. We're talking tonight about things that will precede the tribulation, not the rapture. Do you know why? There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to occur. And I think we went into that in deep detail the doctrine of uh, the imminent return of Christ, and, and I could have gone on and on about that for hours this morning, but I chose not to. So, what did we talk about this morning? We talked about the possibility that World War I and World War II fulfilled the Hebrew idiom of wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, that, that World War I, the first time the whole world is involved in some big conflict. Many people, by the way, view World War II as a continuation of World War I. It kind of is, because the combatants in the two were very, very similar. Then, of course, 1948, on May 14th, the United Nations declared that Israel is a nation, by the way, that's when you think about the United Nations today, that's a miracle in and of itself. Look how far they've gone. Look how much they have changed. Uh, in 1967, Jerusalem came under full Jewish control. In 1948, when the Jews were given a state of Israel, the state of Israel, <laughs> the land they were given by the UN looked very different from the state of Israel today, very different. And Israel gained most of its geographical um, uh, property. The property of the state was gained in 1967. They continued on. By the way, did you know that they ran their tanks all the way into Egypt? How many knew that? How many knew that? And, uh, and the, uh, the uh, authorities in Israel were frantically communicating with the tank, the guys who were running these tank battalions, they were uh, frantically communicating with them and saying, you have to stop, you have to stop, you can't continue going, you have to stop, you can't take over Egypt, you've got to stop. And the tank commanders were listening to the command to stop and they were saying, Sorry, sir, you're breaking up. You're break- I can't understand you. This actually happened, okay? And they continued in the south, charging into Egypt, in the north, through the Golan, Golan Heights, charging into both Syria and Lebanon. The, the, the history of the modern state of Israel is nothing short of a miracle. Now, now, why is all that necessary? Because taking the Bible literally, always without exception, there's no wiggle room here for what I'm about to say, Taking the Bible literally, believing in prophecy literally, presupposes the existence of the Israeli state it presupposes that, okay? Without the, without the existence of the Israeli state, you cannot have the fulfillment of the book of Revelation, and, and much of the Old Testament uh, cannot be fulfilled. That, And by the way, that is a presupposition that is given in Ezekiel 38. So now what we're going to concentrate on tonight is what is called the Gog Magog event, okay? And why am I concentrating on this? Well, several times in the passage, and this, by the way, extends beyond is Ezekiel 38, well into Ezekiel 39, several times in the passage, there are identifiers as to when this will happen. For example, verse number eight, the Bible says, many days after many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, in the latter years. If you dropped on that, that, by the way, is an eschatological term, okay, the latter years. And you say, Pastor, where did it come from? It started with Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 4 but in the latter years. If you look at verse 14, it says in that day. The words in that day are frequently, not always, but frequently an indicator of an eschatological future. Look at verse number 16. It shall be in the latter days. Does everyone see that? So I think, it's, I think that we know that there's a time period when this Gog-Magog event's going to take place. I'm not gonna talk about that right now, but here's my, here's my point. I find it interesting if, now listen, to, I'm careful how I say this, careful because I'm honest, okay? If the Gog-Magog event occurs prior to the tribulation period. By the way, did you notice I didn't say prior to the rapture? The rapture could happen tonight and Gog Magog could happen three weeks from now. Okay, I hope you noticed that. That's really important to notice because that would be confusing. Uh, If if that were, if it were to happen, if the Gog Magog event were to happen, why would we talk about this now? Could it happen in our lifetimes? I believe that it could. Okay, if it happens prior to the tribulation period, I believe that it could. Now listen carefully, I didn't say that it will. I said that it could, okay? There's a, there's a vast difference there. Why do you think that? Well, I think that the rising anti-Semitism, and I, I kind of um, alluded to this this morning, that the rising anti-Semitism in this world has really set the stage. I will be honest, I've been shocked at the anti-Semitism. How many feel that way? Okay, it's, it, I, I, uh, look, I didn't see that coming. I, I figured that the, the Muslims would be anti-Israel because that's just how they are. The Bible predicts that. Oh, in the book of Genesis, the Bible talks about that. Um, and so that's just how they are. But I, I thought that the Europeans would have realized the error of their ways. I thought the Germans would have, and I'm not being racial when I say this, stop that. Okay, I, I, I'm German, okay? but I felt like the Germans would have realized the error of their ways. Um, My mother used to say, old habits die hard. Sure seems like it does, doesn't it? Well, at any rate, this anti-Semitism could be used as an excuse for a confederation of nations to come in. Could be, no, I said could be an excuse for a confederation of nations to come against Israel, quote-unquote, to either put a stop to the quote-unquote genocide, which it is not, okay, or to punish them for the quote-unquote genocide, which it is not. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? So when you read your newspaper, it's kind of interesting, because you think, okay, how could this event fit with the Bible? But we want to be really careful to be accurate and to be honest about what Scripture says in regard to this matter. So let's, let's look at this, and we read it this morning in our Scripture reading, but it bears reading again tonight. Ezekiel 38, Look with with me, if you will, beginning at verse number one. I think what I'll do is kind of walk through the passage with you tonight. Ezekiel 38, verse number one. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Now pause there for a moment. There is universal agreement among Bible scholars that Gog is the title of a leader. Okay, something like a czar would be, or a king. Those are titles for a leader that that is a title for an individual human leader. So some leader, czar, king, or Gog in the Scripture, is an individual. Son of man, that, by the way, son of man, is, a, is spoken to Ezekiel. That was one of his names. Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog. Okay, pause there for a moment. Well, what, what is the land of Magog? It is a geographical region. You say, how do you know? because it says, the land of Magog. Now, it's going to be very important to identify this in a moment. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubul, the prophecy and prophesy against him. Now, both, some people say this, and I think this is silly, but, but you think what you want. Some people say, well, the word Meshach sounds a lot like Moscow, and the word Tubal sounds a lot like Tobolsk, therefore it's Russia. No, no, no. I believe that it involves Russia, but I don't think you can take Semitic words and translate them into into European Scandinavian words, okay? I think there's a little bit of, just because they sound alike doesn't mean they are alike, okay? So uh, there are some Bible scholars that teach that, and that's a little, I think that's going a little bit too far with the wording there. But I do believe that this involves Russia, and there is a reason why. Because they were located, these places, both Meshach and Tabul, were located to the north. Later on, it will identify this as a land of the north. Immediately north of Israel is Lebanon. But if you draw on a map a straight line from Jerusalem, straight north, and it it says the far parts of the north, okay? Not the near. Lebanon would be near, okay? The far parts of the north. If you draw, take a ruler, and lay it over Jerusalem and draw a straight line, you're going to hit Moscow, okay? That definitely is the far parts of the north. Now, having said that, let me also mention this. We think about Russia today as Russia. However, I'm old enough, and many of you are old enough, to think of it as the Soviet Union. How many of you catch yourself, I catch myself all the time, saying the Soviet Union, okay? Hard to get over that. Well, what is the Soviet Union? It was not just Russia proper, but it involved the satellite countries, okay? The Stan countries, Icastan, Bikistan, you know, all those countries, okay? It involved Afghanistan at one point. It involved those countries, Okay? And so it was, a, it was a conglomeration, if you will, a confederation or alliance, of, an alliance of nations. Now, that alliance no longer exists. When communism fell apart, that alliance no longer exists. We say, Pastor Money, what, uh, what is the Soviet Union today? Well, they're a dictatorship, of course. They're, they're imperial. They're all manner of things. I believe that Putin is trying to turn his country back. the days of the of of the czar similar to what it was before the romanovs fell apart it all fell apart i think he's trying to move the country back to that kind of thing but it still exists as a country so understanding that the bible here is talking about a region we know certainly that it will include this part of the world it will also include some other places so look at this so uh, verse number three say and say thus saith the lord god behold I am against thee, O Gog, the leader of this confederation, the chief prince of Meshach and Tabul, and I will turn thee back and will put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor. Now, it's interesting because it doesn't just say armor, but all sorts of armor. In the prophetic vision, it was likely that Ezekiel was using words common to his time to describe what he was seeing, by the Lord and what the Lord was telling him that would be communicable to that time. So uh, this armor could be any number of things, and it'll go into more detail later. I can justify that in a moment. All of them clothed with all sorts of armor, (laughs) even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Okay, now this is interesting. Who will be part of the confederation? Okay, well I think it's important to understand uh, that Persia will be part of that. Who is Persia? That's Iran. Ethiopia. Libya. Okay, now, not the Libya that we're thinking of most likely, but potentially, but probably not, because these countries and regions have changed names over time. With them, all of them with shield and helmet. So pause there. We have a number of nations that are joining in this coalition, Iran, Ethiopia. Most people would view the reference to Libya, because in the Bible, if it was the Libya, we know of it would be called Lib, but most people would view it as Somalia. Huh? Huh? Well, you've got to wonder with, the, what's that group of people called, the Hoofties? What? The Hooties? Those people that are flying drones and bombing stuff, okay? They've sided against Israel. I'm, I'm not saying that's what it's referring to, but I'm saying just think about it. Turn your mind toward that for a little bit. Uh, with all of them, shield and helmet. Now, verse number six, Gomer and all his bands... There is almost universal agreement among Bible scholars that Gomer is a reference to Germany. In fact, not only is this an agreement among Christian Bible scholars, but this is an agreement among the rabbis and Hebrew Bible scholars. Okay, all of his bands may refer to countries that are cohort with Germany, potentially the European Union nations the House of Togamera, the North Quarters, all his bands, and many people with thee. The point of the idea is this, that the nation, this is a coalition of nations headed by a man named Gog. Now, in my thinking, and this is just my thinking, likely um, a ruler, a major ruler of Russia, okay? Now, maybe not, but likely a major ruler of Russia. Anyway, we have a coalition, here's what we know. We have a coalition of nations. We have a coalition of nations from the north. We have a coalition of nations from the very far north. Okay, where where is that? I'll look at verse 15 just to demonstrate that to you. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Many people with thee, riding on horses, a company of an army out of the north parts. Chapter 39, look at verse number two. I will turn thee back, I will leave the sixth part of thee, I will cause thee to come up from the north parts, okay? So we understand that there is a direction here, a geographic direction that this Gog and and Magog is going to come from. We understand it is an alliance of nations. We understand that. Now, continue on in your reading, verse number seven. Be thou prepared, and prepared for thyself, thou and thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land. Now what is that? That's Israel. Many, many times in the Bible, the land, those words have direct reference to Israel. But he proves it. I'm not making that up. Thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, It is gathered out of many people. Why don't you think about this? Israel was regathered in 1948 as a response to the Holocaust Holocaust and all of the persecution that Jews faced throughout all of Europe. That's the sword. They were regathered and brought into the land. They are the land that is brought back from the sword, is gathered out of many people. Do you see that? They came from Germany. They came from Poland. They came from Hungary. They came from, from nations all across. In fact, right now in Israel, the population, is, the, the citizenry population is represented by over 80 countries worldwide, okay, people who've come back. They've come back from the sword is gathered out of many people against the multi- mountains of Israel, which have always, which have laid waste, which have been laid waste, okay? Uh, pause there for a moment. The mountains of Israel, which have been laid waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. The mountains laid waste, but there's something different now. They came back to a land that was virtually desolate. Tel Aviv was sand dunes. The modern city of Tel Aviv was sand dunes. The Jews purchased the ground on which Tel Aviv sits They purchased it from the Arabs, okay, in the the late 1800s. They bought that property. They turned it into one of the most beautiful and modern cities on the Mediterranean. They took a land that was essentially completely desolate, both mountains and valleys. And any of those of you who have been there with me have seen this. And they turned it into a garden in the most unbelievably difficult places to plant something near the Dead Sea. They have turned that into palm groves. They have turned that into uh, places for the production of figs and other uh, other, um, uh, agricultural products. It's absolutely remarkable. So the mountains have been laid waste, but Israel's there and is brought forth of all the nations. That's coming from all the countries. They're regathered. And they shall dwell safely, all of them. Now, you say, Pastor Manny, aha! The words dwell safely mean this must happen after the peace treaty signed by Antichrist. No, no, no. The word safely there doesn't have to do with the word peace. It has to do with the word confidence. Israel, having been regathered in unbelief, and they're not believers, they're not Christians, they have not received Jesus as Messiah, Israel, having been regathered in unbelief, is in a state of security. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Monty, Hamas. Oh, I know, I know. They are going to trounce Hamas. There is no doubt in my mind, as long as we don't interfere because we are weak As a nation, our leaders, our leadership, our representatives are weak. They will trounce them. When I've gone to Israel and I've been there three times, I felt completely safe. I felt safe. There are no walls except for the fence that separates the Palestinian area from the from the Jewish area. But that's not even a wall; it's a fence. Anyone anyone in this room, um, 50 years old and, and young, uh, 50 years and younger, so that excludes me, could get over that fence. Okay, some of the parts of that fence are so weak it's not a wall. They've dwelled in safety and security and confidence. Why? Because of their military because all of their young people are forced into military training, every one of them has two years of military training, because they can raise a standing army instantaneously. There's, before this Hamas thing happened, and by the way, this is a blip, this is a blip. When this is cleaned up, when the rats are cleaned out of the tunnels, when this is cleaned up, Israel will be safer than any other place to go visit. It'll be fine again. I've always felt completely confident. If someone asked Pastor Money, when are we gonna go to Israel? My answer is, well, we can't go right now, they're busy. And so, um, so, but, but we will go back at some point, okay? Um, but all of this, verse number eight, is very descriptive of the nation as it exists today. Okay, so, so Israel obviously is the object of the invasion. That's where it's going to take place against Israel, and that they're the object. But why? What's the motivation for this? What's the motivation? Now listen carefully. I said a moment ago, the excuse for it, could be anti-Semitism, okay? It could be, oh, well, we've got to stop these Jewish people because they're killing off all these Hamas people. That could be, could be, okay? Rising anti-Semitism could be a motivation, but the Bible gives the real motivation. How many of you know there's the public motivation and then there's the real motivation? Yeah, that's always true in politics, okay? Always true in politics. And so the Bible gives us the motivation, okay? Look at the pretext could be anti-Semitism, but look at chapter 38, verse number 10. Look carefully. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass, that in the same time shall shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought." And thou shalt say, so this is the leader Gog, who has his coalition, thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, very depictive of Israel today. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. What is the point of this? To take a spoil, to take a prey, in other words, to take stuff, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Desolate places now inhabited. That's Israel. You'd be amazed at the land they fight over, folks, when they expand their settlements into areas that are outside of the original drawings of the UN agreement. The Israel expands their settlements. You'd be amazed at what they fight over. Not one of you would give $2 for it. It's a pile of rocks. It's a desert. There's nothing there but they have a way of turning those desolate places into something really special. And so, to take spoil, take prey, on verse 12, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nation, see this description again, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Now, what, what is that talking about? It's talking about a pretext or reason why. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, those are some neighboring countries, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, art thou come to take a spoil? So, so uh, Russian coalition, Art thought, what, what's your purpose? Now, well, we're going to deal with this anti-Semitism problem, or we're, we're going to deal with this uh, genocide problem, they'll say. But no, they've really come to take a spoil. Thou hast gathered the company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take away great spoil. All of those things, silver, gold, cattle, goods, those are all things that culturally that meant wealth. Well, what in the world would a Russian coalition want with Israel. Israel's not known as really an oil-producing land. What would they want? They have something far better. The Dead Sea is the world's major treasure trove for rare minerals that are necessary in the space age. It is a treasure trove, the Dead Sea. It is a depository. There is no place on Earth that has more valuable uh, geological formations than does the Dead Sea. Uh, it would be my contention or my thought that that might be motivation enough. Well, they have a resource that no one else in the world has in that level of concentration. So ultimately, they're, they're going after something. They, they want something. That is their motivation. That is the reason why. Pastor Mahdi, why would God allow this? Well, drop down to verse 14. Look at verse 14. Therefore, son of man, Ezekiel, prophesy and say unto Gog, this leader of this confederation, Thus saith the Lord God, (laughs) in that day, when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, there it is, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company, and a mighty army, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days." and I will bring thee against my land. Now, this is God speaking. Remember, he put hooks in the jaw of Magog, and Gog and Magog. He said, I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen, here's God's purpose in this, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. So the motivation, the human motivation, is likely plunder, and I think of the riches of the Dead Sea. The divine motivation that works in concord with the human motivation in God's sovereignty is God's going to be glorified. Whenever this takes place, God is announcing to the world, I'm in charge. God is saying to the world that what's going to happen, we've not gotten there yet, will be so spectacular that the world will have to step back and recognize God himself did this. Now, he will do it, I think, through what will be viewed as, quote-unquote, natural means. We'll get into that in a moment. But it will be so spectacular, such a strange coincidence, that the world is going to see that God had something to do with this. So so really, that's what, what, what's going to happen, Pastor Marty. What's going to happen? Okay, we've seen man's motivation to take stuff. We've seen God's motivation to glorify his name. Look at verse 17. Thus saith the Lord God, art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. So what is going to happen? It shall come to pass, (coughs) at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, that my fury shall come up in my face. I want you to pause for a moment. You don't touch the state of Israel without incurring the wrath of God. Put that in your mind. We're not anti-Semitic. We are pro-Israel. Pro-Israel, 100%. Pro-Israel. I've got zero patience with Hamas. Zero. We are pro-Israel. You do not touch Israel without the wrath of God descending upon you. Verse 19, For in my jealousy and in my fire... The fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. This invasion has happened. What is going to take place? There's going to be a tremendous series of earthquakes. By the way, remember what we said? Earthquakes being a sign of the coming tribulation, not the rapture, but of the coming tribulation period. Remember we said that? There will be a great shaking of the land. Look at verse number 20. So great that so that the fishes of the sea the fowls of the heaven, the beasts of the field, and all creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Israel is on one of the most major fault lines in the entire world, when we were touring Israel, we found that to be the case. You know, we all think about California and everything, but, but uh, Israel's on a tremendous fault line. That fault line will be used in the hand of God as a deterrent and destruction regarding this invading army. Verse number 21, And I will call, <coughs> I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother." What is that talking about? You have a coalition of nations that have gotten together and formed an alliance. They will come into Israel. Tremendous earthquakes will begin to rock the the coalition. People will be harmed, probably killed by the multiple thousands. The coalition will turn on each other. How many no-member nations have trouble staying friends? especially in a time of crisis. Isn't this cool? The Bible gives us details what's going to happen. That coalition of nations is going to turn upon one another, and they're going to slay one another. They probably, by the way, went into this with their own ideas. Well, we'll get the Russians to get us in there, but then we'll take care of them. So there's a lot of back and forth in this scripture. But every man's sword shall be against his brother. Verse 22, and I will plead against him. Now this is God speaking. I will plead against him, against Gog, with... Pestilence. What is that? Infectious, communicable disease. Earthquakes, argument and military fussing between the members of the coalition, and then God says, I'm going to make them all sick. I'm going to send diseases. You know, there was a time, by the way, when we read the word pestilence, and we thought, well, you know, in the day of antibiotics, we can quickly take care of that. Boy, have we ever learned a lesson, Okay. Now, could the pestilence also be a form of biological warfare? Absolutely. Does the Soviet Union have the, or pardon me, there it is, does Russia, does Russia have the capability of biological warfare, yes or no? Will Russia bring that along with them in an attack, yes or no? Yes. Yes. So if they start fussing among themselves, the member nations of this coalition, it's very possible that Russians will just release their biological weapons. God says it will be a matter of pestilence and with blood. That's interesting, and with blood. Some of these pestilences actually produce bleeding, profuse bleeding that causes death. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but that could be. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. What, what is that? The first part is a flood. So not only do we have an earthquake, pestilence, these, arm, these armies that were once in coalition now killing each other, but what do we have? We have a flood now, a physical flood. But, but wait, there's more. Great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Now that likely is something divine that just pours out of the sky. Some people say, well, Pastor Monty, maybe that's an unusual level of lightning strikes. Okay, okay. (laughs) Whether it's fire and brimstone or lightning, an unusual level of lightning strikes, the effect is still the same. I don't want fire and brimstone hitting me. And I don't want lightning hitting me. But I found it interesting there's a connection between the flooding, which we would think of a thunderstorm, in relationship to that. So, well, Pastor, okay, that's interesting. What's going to happen? Um, Thus, verse 23, will I magnify myself, God says, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. It will be so spectacular, this coalition Of armies destroyed. So spectacular that God says, they can't miss it. I'm the Lord. They can't miss it. I'm protecting Israel. And in chapter 39, not only are the uh, the army of the coalition destroyed upon the mountains of Israel, not only does that take place, but in chapter 39, it says, there is destruction of Magog Some of the same physical things that destroyed Israel will then destroy Magog as a nation. Who who understands here? If that happened in the next year, 2024. that happened in 2024, how many understand that God would be glorified? How many understand that everyone, even the most jaded cynic, would have to say, huh, God must be really mad with those people. The most jaded cynic would have to say, wow, there's something of the divine here, there's something here, okay, so, so that's all of that. But when will it happen? Well, the Bible does say it will happen in the latter latter years, okay? And the Bible, in the passage I just walked through, describes Israel as it now exists, okay? The nation as it now exists. It's gathered out of many nations. They built, again, the waste places, the dwelling security. So it seems to describe the nation that now exists, okay? So uh, it is established as uh, a state in unbelief. That's chapter 38, verse 8. Uh, It has built the waste places of the nation, chapter 38, verse 8 again, There is security. They dwell in security. Chapter 38, verses 11, 12, and 14. I've read all of that, but there's something interesting. And I know my time is up, but there's something interesting. In chapter 39, verses 11 through 16, and I'm not going to read them for sake of time. I'll summarize them. In chapter 39, 11 through 16, it says that once Gog and Magog is destroyed on the mountains of Israel, Israel will have a problem. The remains of the devastated army. And the Bible says very specifically that it will take seven years to destroy, to burn all of the military equipment that has littered the mountains of Israel. I want you to think about that. Seven years to clean up the mess. And it will take seven months to bury the dead. I want you to think about that. That's, that's a long time. And so we come to the question of when does this actually take place? Well, I think one of the keys is the seven years. Seven years of burning, seven months of burying. Practicality, I think, indicates that this event, the Gog Magog event uh, right there, that this event takes place sometime prior to the tribulation period, not necessarily prior to the rapture. You got that? Not necessarily. That it takes place prior to the tribulation period. Why? Because think about this folks, if you have if you're burying the dead for seven months and it happens in the midpoint. Now there are people that say, Pastor Mani, this happens in the middle of the tribulation period. The Jews are gonna have their own dead to bury. Why would they worry about the Russians for seven months? Okay. It seems like something really superfluous to have to deal with in the middle of the tribulation period. I took a class, one of the best Bible classes I ever took from Dr. Carl Stelzer in Pensacola Theological Seminary. It was a whole course on the book of Ezekiel. Dr. Stelzer argues that this battle takes place early in the tribulation period. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that at all. I think it happens before, but I have no problem with that. But when you think about the burying of the dead, you don't want to have people burying the dead when really they have their own dead to bury because the wrath of God is poured out on Israel during the tribulation period. Another idea is this. You've got seven years. Bible's real specific. Seven years, we're going to be just getting rid of all this military equipment. If you're in the tribulation period, Israel needs their military equipment. All of it, even the stuff that the Russians leave behind. So that didn't quite make sense to me. Then the other idea is this. If it takes that long to get rid of this military equipment, the Bible talks about them burning it. If it takes that long to get rid of the military equipment, seven years is a long time. Are they going to do that throughout the whole tribulation period? Are they going to do that? Now, here's where I struggle with it. If, you're mid, if you take a mid-tribulation view, you're going to say, well, they're going to start burning it when it's done during the tribulation, and they're going to keep on burning it for years into the millennial kingdom? I don't know. That doesn't sound like the kingdom to me because the air wouldn't be fresh. Does this... That was a joke, okay? It, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't fit. Now, in all honesty, there's another view. So there's the view prior, which is the view that I'm leaning toward and teaching you tonight. There's the view early in the tribulation period or mid, somewhere in the tribulation period. There's an idea that it will happen at the, you know, Pastor Monty, Ezekiel 38 is just describing the Gog-Magog event. And it's the same thing as Armageddon. Absolutely not. You look at both, you cannot put those two together. That's absolute impossibility. So I don't think it's Armageddon. Then there's another view that I was recently uh, introduced to, the possibility that this is the uprising uh, rebellion at the close of the Millennial Kingdom Age. Now I know some of you are like, what are you talking about? I can't go into all of that detail. That's possible, but this seems to fit better because it describes Israel as she now is. And it goes to great pains to describe Israel as she now is—a nation gathered in unbelief, a nation that themselves have rebuilt the waste places. Okay, so pastor, what are you saying? You can take any view you want; you're not necessarily a heretic. Okay, but if you're wrong, then you know. Well, if, if I'm right and we're still here and this happens, I'm going to look at you and say, <laughs> "Na na 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 na." <laughs> okay, but there's an awful lot of things in my life. Uh, when you get into these detailed things, when we get to heaven, God's gonna say, why did you say that? Because, anyway, but all right, we know that, okay? We understand that. But my point is this, that's certainly a possibility. I've listed another one, I'm not talking about it tonight, but the rise of Antichrist and one world government. Do you know that that could come before the rapture? Absolutely could, absolutely could. So all of these things, I think, predate the tribulation period, but they have no effect on one, the rapture of the churches, because Jesus could come tonight. And don't you rather wish that he would? But I think of the whole message, I want to impress you with this the details of Bible prophecy, don't dismiss the detail. Because every word we've read tonight will come to pass. And someday, someday when we're in heaven, we're going to look back on all of this and say, wow. We'll be surprised on some things how God fulfilled them, right? We'll be surprised. But we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, every jot and tittle, the smallest diacritical markings of the Hebrew language, every jot and tittle, every word was fulfilled exactly as God said. (laughs) Do you know what that tells me as a Christian today? I better believe the book. I better be living for him. I better be prepared. I better have my eyes open enough to see that the things that happen in this world are not just random events, but they are happening, moving toward the great culmination of the age. I better recognize that Christ is my Savior and I don't have to worry. Someone said, Pastor, I hate this kind of thing because it makes me nervous. Don't be be nervous. We win. Jesus Christ shall reign. The hymnist has put it this way, His kingdom, Christ's kingdom, His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know Christ, you don't have a worry in the world. And if you know Christ, you can be an observer of world events today and understand it's not random. It's heading somewhere with a purpose and the ultimate purpose is the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we've looked into very complicated scripture tonight, you will help us with an eye on the Bible and an eye on world events to be looking. Every word we've read, we know you will fulfill, maybe in ways that will surprise us. But Father, we believe this book. And so Father, make us alert. And help us, Lord, most of all, to be looking for the glory, glorious appearance of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, when we open up a passage like this, we see you have fearful things and marvelous things prepared for your people. Help us to love you better and to walk closer to you because of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Stand.